one of the huge themes in the Bible is that Jesus our God is king, right? And obviously we see that in the New Testament as well, that Jesus is the king. Now in America, we don't like kings very much, right? Except except for the, for some reason, we're obsessed with the royalty in, in Great Britain. But the idea of a king or a dictator or a despot, we don't, we don't like that, right? We pride ourselves on being a democracy. Um, but really the reason why we're a democracy uh, philosophically is because people are sinful, right? So there needs to be uh, there, there shouldn't be really one person in power because what if the wrong person has complete power? Um, it reminds me of how Winston Churchill said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. And so because we're sinners, right, our forms of government, they're flawed, but to vote and to have protections on uh, who's in leadership is super helpful in this Genesis 3 world. But God isn't like humans. And so he doesn't need to be elected. He doesn't need to have other people's input. He is perfect. He is righteous. And so he combines perfect control with perfect righteousness. And when God fully reveals his rule on earth, there will also be perfect peace. So God being king is one of the greatest truths that we can read in scripture. Now this psalm, it follows well on Psalm 46, which we saw last week where it's, it's talking about God's rule and him being in this the city of God. And now in verse 47, we see this future glimpse of God with his reign and rule secure, and people are now coming to worship him. So, you know, we talk about the, the Psalms, some of the Psalms being messianic. I don't know if you've heard that, heard that term before of a Psalm being a messianic Psalm. Think of Psalms like Psalm 69 or 110 or 118, these really famous uh, Psalms with, with prophecies about Jesus in them. But this psalm is a good reminder that really all of the psalms are messianic. That, that David wrote the psalms, or he at least was the, the main shaper of the psalms, the main influence of the psalms, and the Davidic covenant kind of undergirds all the psalms. And so all the psalms have a messianic flavor. They have a messianic focus, and they're ultimately going to be fulfilled only in Jesus. And so this psalm focuses on God's universal kingship. This world that was divided at Babel we now see this future picture of it coming together, God uniting the world and bringing the nations back together under the one true king. You know, and as I read it, it reminded me a lot of the song Joy to the World, which I know we're kind of way past Christmas at this point. But, you know, the, the mention of joy in the first verse it was the first thing. But really, as you look through the rest of it, like think about these verses from Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature sing. We're going to see that theme of God being the king over the entire earth, not just Israel, over the entire earth. And then the third verse of Joy to the World says, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. So that's what we're going to see here. The nations are coming. They're submitting to the true king and they're singing his praise as well. In the early church, this psalm was read on Ascension Day, right? The day when Christ ascended back into the heavens to, uh, to be with God and to be on his throne. And so that's very fitting for, for this uh, psalm, right? Which is speaking about God's ascension to the throne. And of course, we're going to see that fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So basic, it's a basic psalm. The outline is first God in victory and then God on the throne. God in victory, and then God on the throne. Uh, so let's look at the first five verses, God in victory. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. So it starts with this call to worship God, um, to worship him with your hands and with your voice, right? I'm, 
I know at GCC, we're not big clappers. Um, we're not like clapping along to the beat. <clears throat> it's hard sometimes to even get people to clap after a song. Um, and I'm not, I don't think we have to be like legalistic or weird about this, right? That songs have to have clapping. But I think the picture here is engaging your body and your voice in worshiping God. It's a full expression of your devotion to God through your praise. But notice most importantly, verse one is directed at all peoples. It's not just the nation of Israel. It's not just the city of Jerusalem. This is actually, he's speaking to everyone everywhere. And this is a theme that we're going to see build throughout the Psalms as well. So this term, terminology will be repeated through this Psalm of peoples, nations, all the earth. Those things are repeated over and over and over again, because again, God is king over all. So these nations who we're going to see, they've been defeated in war, according to verse three, right? Um, they're now coming and they're subjected to God and they're worshiping him because he's worthy. Verse two, for the Lord, the most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Everything in this verse really points toward the, the universal kingship of, of God. So this term, the most high, is a term that's often used in scripture about God in reference to other nations or God in reference to um, the gods of other nations. And that God is the most high. He's exalted above every other God. And that therefore his people are exalted above every other people. God is a great king over all the earth, it says. So king is obviously a key word in this psalm. That's a word to underline as it appears, I think, three times in the psalm. And here God is reigning over all the earth. He is the king over everything, the great king of creation. And just to be clear, God has always been king over the earth. Often we talk about, okay, well, when did Christ begin reigning or ruling or is it future? Or And really, I mean, there are some important questions there for sure, but we have to be clear that God has always been reigning. He's always been the king. His rule is going to be revealed more in the future, right? And it was revealed in a special way when Jesus came and paid the price to rescue his people, of course, but God has always been the king. And every earthly king is a, is a ruler under the great king, the king of kings. And so sin is an act of rebellion. It's a declaration of war against this great king. And so right now we don't really fully see the, the rule of God because there's still evil and sin that's thriving in the world. But one day it will be done away with forever. God's going to come and establish his reign fully and it'll be gone permanently. So then we see verse three, which speaks about the day when, when God's reign will be fully realized. Look at verse three. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. So he's speaking here about the submission of the nations, right? That the, the nations are under, uh, under us or under our feet. So that the picture there is, as we've seen before, is of a ruler standing with his foot on the neck of his enemies to, to, to be a picture that they are under him, that he has won, that he has won the day. And so the picture is of God using his people to bring the whole world into submission, right? So it's, he's done it under us, Israel. Um, and, uh, you know, this is through the, nation, the lens nation of Israel at this point. But when, when God brings victory to Israel, that nation is God's nation. And so the people that are conquered are now under God's rule in a real sense. Of course, for us today, it's a, it's a little bit different than that. But that's what we're seeing here, that God is placing the nations under their feet. 
And of course, for us, later in Romans 16, we'll see that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. God's going to put the great enemy under the feet of his people and give us the great victory by his power. Verse 4, he chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. So this verse speaks about the land of Israel, which of course is very important. And that land and the, the city are going to come back into focus in Psalm 48, which is a really, it's a really unique Psalm. Um, but heritage and the pride of Jacob, those are parallel terms in these two lines. And so they both speak of the same thing. They both speak of the land of Israel. And God gives this land, <clears throat> right? He chooses to give this land to Israel and to Jacob because he loves them. Now, why, why does God love Jacob? Well, we, we see this a number of times in scripture that the answer is very simply, there's no explanation ever given, but we know what it's not. So for example, Deuteronomy 7, 7 says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. And the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I love, I love that section in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 7. And then again in 8 and 9, he repeats the same ideas, right? And he, he'll emphasize different things, right? It wasn't because you were good or righteous. It's just because the nations were wicked. Right? I mean, so God is, is saying again and again that the reason why God made this choice is not because of something inherent to the people of Israel. God made a choice that defies any human explanation, and it's a choice he never explains. And God's salvation of us is similar, right? He chooses us. He shows grace to us. And we don't argue with that. We just rejoice in it. And we know that it's not because we're greater or smarter or better looking or whatever than someone else. It's just because God is gracious and he loves us. Verse five says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. So going up here, this idea of he's gone up, is thought by many commentators to be a picture of the ark going up into the city of Jerusalem. So uh, Derek Kidner points out that this, this parallels, in a sense, the language of 2 Samuel 6.15. And the verb there, so it, says, it says, So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord, was shouting with the sound of a horn. horn. So the bringing up, or the, that's the idea of going up with the ark, it shows us that the idea here is, is maybe similar. So, so God is ascending to the throne, or he's ascending to the place where he sits and rules, it also reminds us of Psalm 24, right? Where it talks about the, the king of glory may come in. So God's coming in. He's sitting on his throne. He's ascending to the throne. And what joy there is because God reigns over everything. And what hope there is because we know that someday God will make that reign fully known. He'll show the full reality of it and do away with every rebel power. Verses six to nine, let's jump to the second section here. So verses six to nine shows God on the throne. So he's ascended in verse five, and then he's on the throne in verse six. And so we see this repetition of this command to praise. Verse six, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. So I'm not, it was kind of subtle there, but did you notice that there was a repeated command over and over again? Okay, it wasn't very subtle. Uh, five times, right, he repeats, sing praise, sing praise. 
So just as the, as the passage or the, the psalm started with this command to sing praise to God, here it's repeated that everyone must sing praise to the God who deserves it. And there's also an echo here of, of verse 2, right? That God is the king of all the earth. He's the king of all the earth. So it's reaffirming this. And then it goes on in verse 8. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. So this is how the psalm ends. And we see here at the end that God has ascended and he's seated on his throne, ruling in righteousness over the entire world. And the Gentiles are gathering just as the people of Israel are gathering. In other words, they're, they're gathering as one people. It's not simply the Jewish people who are God's people. It's also the Gentiles who submit to his reign. And the, the rulers of the earth are under his submission. So the princes of the people gather, it says, and then the shields of the earth, which is kind of a weird phrase. But it, again, it parallels princes of the peoples. So most people say, think that this is another way of speaking to the rulers of the earth, maybe in their warfare, right, in their combat gear, or as guardians, like they themselves are shields of, of the earth, guarding the earth. But all those armies and rulers belong to God. They are his. They're under his authority. So this psalm ends by looking forward to the time when the leaders of all the peoples of the earth will stand in full submission to God as his people. Everyone is God's people, and that means everyone is one people. True unity. Again, the division of the Tower of Babel is reversed, and all people are brought together under the perfect reign of God. And so, I mean, I know I encourage you to do this often, but one of the best things we can do day by day is to truly behold God, to behold him in his word, to, to think on his actions, and then to turn and praise him. I, I thought of the, the, um, the lyrics to the song, Behold Our God, right? Which is, I don't know who wrote it, uh, but it's a, it's a great uh, modern hymn. And it says this, Behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our king, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. When we see God more clearly, we can worship him with our whole heart, right? Because he deserves it. Now, <clears throat> this does, I think, relate to Jesus as well. In, in, I, in John 12, some Greeks come to Jesus' disciples. It's a very interesting passage. And, and when I was preaching through the Gospel of John, it was one that kind of, it was probably one of the first passages where I thought, what is this? What's the point of this? But there is a point to it, right? These, these Greeks come to Jesus' disciples and they say, Sir, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And the disciples tell Jesus, and he goes on this really kind of odd tangent. Like he never responds to the question as Jesus does sometimes, especially in the Gospel of John. But he kind of goes on this interesting, you know, um, like, yeah, tangent about a few different things. But one of the things he says, and I think this is really key to why the Gospel of John includes this account as he says this, right? Again, this is the, the Passion Week. So Jesus is coming into the last day of his life in John chapter 13. And in the Passion Week, the people of Israel have been rejecting Jesus. And now these Greeks are coming and they're seeking Jesus. And John 12, 31 says this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So what he's saying there is not that every single person is going to be saved, 
but that people from every nation under the heavens will be saved. That all kinds of people will be drawn to Jesus. And of course, it fits in the context of these these Greeks that are honestly seeking Jesus when it seems like no one else is. This is the mission of God. God, Jesus' mission is for the nations. He sends his message to every corner of the earth. And now the kingdom of God expands and spreads, not through the power of armies. That's not the way that it spreads. It expands through the testimony of God's people. So the weapons that we have don't seem impressive, but the the battles that we're fighting, they are. They matter. They're, They're shaping the future, right? And by God's grace, they're building his kingdom. So let's go forth and let's bring this good news to our neighbors and to the ends of the earth so that the entire world can bow in submission to the great king.